Get out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So as you're, as you're turning there, I'm sure as I say Matthew 28, you guys are probably thinking, I, I think I know that passage, right? It's a, it's a famous passage. I think it's about that, that great commission thing. And I would say, yeah, the, the passage we're going to be focusing on today is commonly known as the Great Commission. Um, and what we know about this is that this is the, the, the final task, the final commission that Jesus was giving to his disciples before he were to finally ascend and be with the Father. So over the course of the past three and a half years, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching his disciples. He, they, he taught them everything they knew. Uh, he taught them a lot of lessons. He did a lot of different things. But what's different here in Matthew chapter 28 compared to all the other teachings that Jesus did is that these are within his last teachings, right? So we find ourselves post-resurrection. So Jesus had already died. He had already risen. He, he's, he's in the middle of that 40 days that he spent uh, on earth before finally returning to be with his Father. And, and maybe you're saying, why is that important? Well, because... What we know to be true about someone's last conversations is that they usually tend to be pretty important, right? So we have conversations with people every day, friends and family, and a lot of those conversations you're going to forget by the time you hit that door, right? It's just the reality, like we talk about a lot of different things every day, so, you know, it's a fast Long Island culture. Um, but we know that what, what's true is that if you're hanging out with someone and you know that this is going to be one of the last times that you're hanging out with that person, whether it be due to death or they're moving across the world to another country. But you're not just going to get to see them again. You're most likely going to, to listen, like intently, because it's important, right? And you don't want to forget those words that they're saying. So Jesus is, is here with his disciples. He's with them uh, for uh, some of the last few moments, and, he, and he's about to teach them something very important. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. These guys have given up everything to follow Jesus. They left their families. They left their business. They've left their comfort. They've left their security. Jesus dies. He resurrects. He comes back. And, and now they're, they're with their master, their Lord, right? And like imagine the ears are perked up and they're like, what, what does he have to tell us? So I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples with your ears perked up, listening uh, to what Jesus has to tell us today. So let's start reading. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, going through verse 20. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, I want us to note uh, some, some things here. Note that the disciples and Jesus are on the top of a mountain. This is important because constantly throughout Scripture, when God meets with his people on the top of mountains, something powerful is happening. If you remember Moses, Moses would meet with God quite literally on the top of a mountain where God's presence was shown to Moses. 
If you remember, Jesus was transfigured on the top of a mountain at the beginning of the book of Matthew. In Matthew 5, Jesus is known as giving one of his most famous sermons called the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where he is teaching uh, these people what it means to be a citizen of heaven and what that should change about their lives. And at the end of Matthew, Jesus again is on the top of a mountain where this whole journey began. So, so something powerful is happening here, right? And, and I want us to, to understand that, that when God meets with his people on top of mountains in Scripture, there's a lesson to be learned. And the reason that we're, we're going over the Scripture today is because God has been speaking to me pretty strongly over the past few months uh, through it. Right, so this isn't just a random scripture. I'm like, what should I preach today? Like, God has actually been using this scripture to challenge my life uh, quite personally. Um, so over the past couple months, I've really been praying that God would help me to live on mission. Like, I want, I want my life to be serious about living on mission. Like, I, I want to take this serious. Right, like I, I want to be intentional about finding lost people, spending time with them, sharing the gospel with them, discipling them, walking with them through this beautiful journey, right? Like, I, I want to be intentional about that. Like, I know God's heart is for people to know him, but me living on Long Island, one reality is that when I looked at the people I had relationships with, everyone knew Jesus, right? Like, my friends, Sam, we all, us here, you know, like, because I'm not from here, so I don't have a lot of history. So right now, a lot of my friends, almost all of my friends and people I knew, knew Jesus. So I was like, God, it's, it's hard for me to live on mission if everyone I know already knows you. Does that make sense? Like, I'm, I'm trying to live out on mission, but when I'm looking at my life, well, do I have anyone I can really start to sh-? There wasn't really anybody. And I was like, man, there's something, there's something disconnected there right? Like, I love Christians. I love my, my family members, but God's mission is so much bigger than that, right? So, so God was challenging me uh, with that. So one day, I was at a coffee shop, and I was with Sam about a month ago. And again, I've been praying, God, help me to, to make a friend. Help me to be a friend with someone that doesn't know Jesus. Like, I need your help, Jesus. I need help. Um, and we're at this coffee shop, and I order, well, me and Sam order our drinks. We like chai lattes. And this guy, literally sitting right next to the register, turned around. And he was like, hey, did you guys order anything good? It's pretty bold for Long Island, right? He's starting a conversation. I'm like, whoa, okay. So I was like, yeah, man, I ordered what we usually get. And, you know, he's starting this conversation. He's a guy my age, like 21, tattoos. Um, he's a musician. So he's just starting a conversation about life and this and that and the third. Uh, and then next thing you know, at the end of our conversation, we exchanged numbers. Because I'm like, hey, man, I'd love to hang out with you again. And literally, like, in front of me, God is unfolding an answered prayer where I'm like, God, I've been needing to, meet new, needing to new, meet new people. And, like, God is answering that. So when I leave the coffee shop, I'm telling Sam, like, Sam, God is so good. Like, I've been praying to make a friend with a lost person, and he is doing it. Right? So about three weeks ago, I, uh, I followed up with John. I'm like, hey, man, can we set up a time? So we went back to that same coffee spot, and we were just getting coffee. And I'm just getting to know him and asking about his life. Where'd you grow up, et cetera, et cetera. Just trying to, to make a friend. 
Um, and naturally, he, he asked me, oh, what do you do? Why did you want to be a pastor? And, you know, in that moment, I get to share my story, my testimony with John, right? And in this moment, I'm getting to share Jesus with John. And I was like, God, you're so good for this. And this coming Monday, I'm, I'm getting coffee with John again, and I'm just praying, man, that as I would have intentional conversations with John, that I would share Jesus, that he would decide to put his faith in Jesus, and I'd walk with him as, man, he learns how to follow Jesus, right? And I'm like, God, thank you that you are answering this. So, so this, this text and me presenting it to you all has been birthed out of my own conviction in my life, that I want to be serious about living on mission. I don't want to just come and worship, hear a message, and go home and repeat that for the rest. Like, I want to be serious about, Lord, what does this mean to be a disciple, all right? So, I never want to approach Scripture lightly, particularly this Scripture lightly, and I, I guess my fear that I noticed in my own life and in the lives of a lot of other Christians is that we read this text not as the great commission, uh, but we read it as the great suggestion. Like, God wants me to do this, but if I don't, it's okay. Or maybe, you know, you've read this and you're like, this is great for missionaries. This is great for people like Frank. This is great for people that are going to Netherlands, Africa, Sudan. Like, this is great for people that are going somewhere across this world, but that's not really relevant to me. I don't know if you've you've ever been there. You don't have to answer. But the the reality, guys, is that this text is so much more. That, That this text going, making disciples. This is the mission of God's church. Like, this is why we exist as a people group. Like, this is the sole mission of God's church. And I I think as believers all across, you know, uh, the world, we can get caught up doing so many good things, right? We're, We're doing trips, and we're doing different activities, and hangouts, and this, that, and the third. And like, those things have their place. I'm not saying they're bad, but I think we can get caught up doing so many good things, sometimes at the cost of the one main essential thing that Jesus told us to do. So if we're doing all of these different things, but if we're not making disciples, then we miss the point. Like we totally miss the point if, if none of Long Island is coming to know Jesus because of us and, and you know, God, us partnering with God mission, like we miss the point. And, and I don't want to miss the point, and I hope you don't want to either. Um, so, you know, the point is making disciples. Uh, and a friend of mine, David Hurtwick, he defined discipleship as this, because maybe, you know, you're in here and you don't really know what discipleship is. I really like this definition uh, that my friend Dave gave. And he said, discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of our life, changing what you love and how you live. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of life, changing what you love and how you live. Like this pretty much sums it up. We all have areas in our lives that we're living in unbelief, right? So this is a lifelong journey uh, when we never arrive. But as believers, we have been called to intentionally invest in lost people, people who don't know Jesus, and help move them from unbelief and walk with them through their journey as they're learning to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? Like this, of course, for all of us, it's a lifelong journey, but our task is to intentionally go out, help people on their journey, right? So 
Moving from unbelief to belief, it changes what we love, it changes what we serve, it changes how we view this world, what becomes important to us. And again, this is a lifelong journey, but what tends to happen if we're not careful is that we get saved, people pour into us, we go to youth group, we, we, we go to Bible studies, we go to all of these things, but then it stops with us. Right? So if you think previous to the person that maybe led you to the Lord or walked with you and the person that led that person to the Lord, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like there was this, this discipleship and there was this reproducing and there was this healthy you know, chain reaction. But sometimes it, it gets to us where we get led to the Lord, we are growing, we're doing good, but then we say, you know what, it stops with me. Where I spend the rest of my life saying, I just want to grow, I want to know the word, I'm going to hang out with my friends. But that pouring out into someone else, we say it stops. And I think, guys, man, the most selfish thing that we can do as Christians is to say it stops with me. To say that the, the amount of time, the amount of energy, the amount of prayer that someone poured into me and that someone poured into that person, you know what I'm saying? The amount of prayer and time and, man, the battles that, that Jesus fought to get us saved, it stops with me, right? And that, that other people aren't worthy of me doing the same thing for us. Like, that is the most selfish thing that we could do as believers. It can't stop with us. So making disciples, it's, it's not an activity. It's not something for leaders. It's not a cool catchphrase. It's not just a current trend of the church, right? It is the mission of the Why we come to worship and gather is to go out and make disciples. Right? We come, we get equipped to go out and to make disciples. So I've been talking about that a lot. So we're going to look at three things that we need in order to make disciples according to this text. The first thing we need in order to make disciples is this. We need to trust in his authority. We need to trust in his authority. Verse 18, it says, all authority in heaven, on earth, has been given to Jesus. So all over the gospels, a main theme is the authority of Christ. And what's unique about Christ's authority is that it's universal. So it's on heaven, it's, it's in earth, it's eternal, it, it doesn't end. Like his authority is over everything. What does authority mean? Authority means an authorized rule, so an authorized rule, or it can mean a power to act. And maybe you're like, okay, that's great. What what does that mean for me? We always want to be practical. I have a somewhat condensed list of what authority means uh, for Jesus. Number one, Jesus has authority over disease, right? So he has the authority to go to a blind man. He has the authority to tell those eyes to see. He has the authority to go to a paralyzed man. He has the authority to tell him to pick up his mat, go home, and walk, right? Jesus has the authority to go to lepers, people who have been outcast by their society, and he can touch them, and he can tell that person to be clean. So can't we thank God that he has authority over cancer, that he has authority over leukemia, he has authority over mental illness, he has authority over every sickness, every disease, every body ache, every man, every death. He has authority over it all. So what does that mean? That means that one day, cancer, death, leukemia, sickness, mental illness, one day all of those things are going to bow to the name of Jesus in final submission, never to come back. That's authority. Like, can we, that's, that's a good thing. Number two, Jesus has authority 
over demons, right? Constantly throughout the scriptures, man, he is casting out demons. They tremble at his name. They are afraid of Jesus because they know that, man, he has authority over them. Number three, he has authority over sin. This is good news. He has the power to judge, but it doesn't stop there because that wouldn't be good news if he only had the power to judge, but he has the power to forgive and to conquer sin, right? Number four, Jesus has authority over suffering. He has authority over suffering. So I don't know where all of you all are at or what you all have been through over your past few weeks or past few months, but maybe you're in a season of suffering where you come home and you just feel like you're up to your neck in the stress that is on your plate, that you're up to your neck in the things that are burdening you and just holding you down. Man, Jesus has the authority to say, come to me and I will give you rest. Right? He has the authority to say, drink from this cup, eat of this bread. I have something that no one else can give you because he has authority over our suffering. That, that's, that's really good news. Number five, Jesus has authority over nature. Right? So only Jesus can, can be sleeping in a boat. His disciples wake him up because they're afraid by this massive storm. And with a word, Jesus can command that storm to stop. Right? Jesus has the authority to, to, to move a body of water, to, man, to bring all of these fish out of nowhere to the point where when the disciples reel the fish in, it starts to sink the boat. Like, that's authority. Number six, Jesus has authority over the nations. Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14 prophesied about this. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus has authority over the nations, over every people group, over every tribe, over every tongue, over every language. He is Lord over it all. And Jesus not only has power, but he has a right to use that power. That's what authority is. If you have power but have no outlet for it or don't have a right to use that power, it's pretty pointless. But authority is when you have a right to use that power. And Scripture tells us he has it, right? So if Jesus has authority, how should that change the way that we go about life? How should that change the way we watch Fox or CNN? How should that change the way we go about our days? How should that change the way we deal with our bosses that we really don't like? Like, how should that change things? If, if we know Jesus is on the throne and nothing is going to dethrone Jesus, how should that change things about us? And it's important to note that in here, I've just talked a lot about authority. Jesus isn't just bragging about his authority because Jesus likes bragging rights. Right? He's not just saying, look at me, I have all this authority for no reason. Remember, we're talking about the Great Commission, so all this ties in together. So why is Jesus talking about authority and how it relates to us you know, being a part of his Great Commission? And well, I would say this, Jesus is saying he has absolute authority to accomplish his mission. He has absolute authority to accomplish his mission. In other words, nothing will get in the way of God's plan of establishing God's kingdom throughout the earth. So there's no people, there's no nation, there's no demon, there's no sickness, there's no uh, hell, there's no, there's nothing that can get in the way of God's plan from being established on this 
earth. That's, that's what authority means, and that's why this is irrelevant. And also, he shares that authority. Like, he shares that authority. If you are in this room and you would consider yourself to be a believer of Jesus Christ, that authority lives within you. That authority lives within you. And I thank God that his authority lives within me. Why? Because my ability to go out and make disciples, it doesn't rely on my speaking ability. It doesn't rely on my charisma. It doesn't rely on uh, my good looks. I don't really, you know, if you say... (laughs) I don't know why I said that. It uh, doesn't rely on, you know, how much hair I have. It doesn't rely on my age. It doesn't rely on anything that I have to bring to the table. That's really good news because I'm pretty fickle. We're pretty fickle people. Like, we don't have a lot to offer. But the, the, the power to, man, lead someone to Christ and to disciple them, that all comes from Jesus, and that lives in you. Like, guys, we can go in confidence like, hey, I don't have a lot to offer, but man, that authority is within you, and God will work miracles through your life if we, man, trust that that authority is there. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Like, like look at the disciples. God took 12 ordinary guys, but he entrusted his authority to them, and then, man, 2,000 years later, we have millions and millions of believers all around the world who have bowed to the name of Jesus Christ. Like, that is authority. That wasn't just because 12 guys had it all together. They're pretty broken. But they had the authority of Christ within them. And that's good news for us to go out into Long Island and, man, shake things up. So, number one, we need to trust, that his, we need to trust his authority and trust that authority lives within us. Number two, we need to trust his strategy. We have to trust his strategy. Verse 19 explains, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So it kind of sounds like two things are happening. Go and make disciples. But in the original language, the only verb in here that's, that's in the imperative, imperative is a command. So the only verb that's a command in, in this portion of scripture is make disciples. So like that's what we've been tasked to do. Go, that word go, is better translated like quite literally as you go from one place to another. So as you go from your, your house to your workplace, as you go from school to, to church, as you go from here to there, like as you go wherever you're at, you know, in this world, like make disciples. Like that's our commission. Make disciples wherever we go. And, and the good news is that we don't have to try to out what the strategy is. We don't have to create a new game plan. We don't have to blissfully, you know, read a whole bunch of books and and understand uh, the psychology of people. And those things can have their place. But at the end of the day, Jesus gave us our strategy right right here. And he will bless that strategy because it's from him. Like he he knows what he's doing. All right. So I'm going to borrow some language from a pastor I really like named David Platt. And there's a four simple step strategy outlined here in the text. So number one is we share the word. Number two is we show the word. Number three, we teach the word. And then number four, we serve the world. So we're just going to go through this nice, nice and easy. Number one, we share the word. This is the going part, right? So this is kind of linked with evangelism. Like evangelism and discipleship, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other because really the first part of discipleship is telling someone about Jesus. Uh, And I think sometimes we get overwhelmed and 
nervous that we don't know, we don't have the words to say, we don't know this, we don't know that, and we feel ill-equipped to tell people about God. But guys, again, that authority lives in you. And if you know that, that Jesus is the risen king, he died for your sins, our trust in him allows us to enter into his kingdom. Like, man, that's enough for someone to know the gospel, and that authority will give you a boldness to go into places maybe you are a little afraid to go. So as we share Christ with people, we lead them to Jesus. People put their trust in, in Jesus. I would say at this step, they're kind of known as believers. So Jesus has, has given us authority to share his word with people. And it's not by accident that the people in your life are in your life. So at your workplace, at your, uh, if you're still in school, at, at your business, at the place you go to get coffee. Like those people that are in your life, your family, they're not there by mistake. Like God has intentionally placed those people in your life for you to go and share Jesus with. Right? And a lot of times that can happen through conversation. Like, hey, what do you believe? What, what, do, what do you think about God? That, oh, that's cool. Can, can I tell you what I believe and what, what the Bible teaches? Like, it doesn't, you don't need to go with a picket sign and, you know, be slamming people down to the ground. Like, through relationship, you can share Jesus with people. Right? And I, I believe that you can do this. This is what God has called us to do. Go, tell them. Man, the, the eternity hangs in the balance. So one, we show the, share the word. Two, we show the word. So we show people that, man, we are, are Christians, that we have been identified with Christ. But then we lead people to be identified with Christ. So it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So literally, like people say they're believers, then they move to identification. And we do this here through water baptism right? We do this because when people are baptized, they are identifying with Christ. They are identifying with his church. The old me is gone. The new me uh, has come. So, so we do that to identify with Christ in his church. So, so now people are, are known as disciples, right? So as a disciple, we have to show them how, how to be a disciple. So literally, um, Rather than giving someone a book on prayer or giving them a book on how to worship, we could say, hey, can, can I show you how I pray? Hey, I know you've never read scripture before, but can, can I invite you out of my house? We can, you know, eat dinner or something, but I'd love to show you how, how to read scripture. It's like this relational model. And wouldn't it probably work so much better if we just show people how to kind of how to walk as a Christian rather than just giving them material on how to do it. Like, like Jesus knew what he was doing. He, he showed his disciples how to do everything they did. So people move from believer to disciple, but you have to show them. You have to bring them on into your life and start doing things with them intentionally. So we show them the word. And then we go into teach the word, which is step three. So it's not enough to just say, I believe in Christ. It's not enough to say, I identify with Christ. But now you have, you have to know what his word says. So we, literally we go and we start teaching people, whether you have a small group at your house or whatever that looks like, but you start going through scripture, right? And you teach people the word so that they can be equipped to go out into the world. So people are literally learning the scripture, Genesis from Revelation, and you know, they're just understanding like some of the main points of, of scripture. And then that last part is serve the world. So once someone is equipped and they know uh, the, I guess the most important parts of scripture, they don't need to know everything front and back to be a, a scholar, but 
when they know the, the main points of Scripture, then they can go out and they can do that same thing in someone else, right? Do you guys think you could do that? Amen. We're all, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. But guys, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the, the perfect strategy, but this is, according to this text, seems to be a pretty simple outline of what it means to move someone from unbeliever to disciple maker. And again, it can't just stop with you giving them information. Like, we have to reproduce a disciple in someone else's life. So as you disciple someone, they should be reproducing their life into someone else. Like, it shouldn't just stop with you and, you know, let's say me and uh, my friend Jim. <laughs> like, it shouldn't just stop with me and Jim growing, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I'm gonna, I need to challenge Jim to invest in someone the way I've just invested in him, right? Or else... It, it, like people who never know Jesus if it just stops with us. So one of the marks of a disciple is a disciple makes other disciples. Like Jesus told us to go out and do that. So again, point one, uh, big picture is we trust his authority. Point two is that we trust his strategy. And point three is that we need to be reliant on his presence. And at this point, I would uh, invite the band back up. Um, but we need to be reliant on his presence. And there's a uh, portion of scripture in Exodus, Exodus 33, verse 3, and um, it says this. It says, go up. This is God talking to Moses here. And God says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And then Exodus 33, verse 15, so in that same chapter, Moses says this. He said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. Don't send us up from here. Why do I share that with you? Because this is what's happening. The the Israelites were just worshiping some golden calf. God was very angry with them, but he had a covenant with them. So like he promised that the descendants of Abraham would, would, you know, enter the promised land, etc., etc. But so God gets to the point of like, he's so frustrated with them. He says, you know what? Since I, I made this covenant with you, you can have the promised land. You can have that land flowing with milk and honey. You can have everything that I promised you, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you. And, and this haunts me, guys, that if you could have anything you wanted, as, as a Christian, you could, you know, go and, and, and be a disciple maker. You could go and, and do good things. You could go on trips. You could, you know, be a better parent or you could be a better student. You could be a better learner. You could do all of these things. Would you want to do it if you didn't need the presence of God? Like, would we be okay to inherit all of these good things but without God's help? And I think my fear that believers all across this world, we, we start to do church, we start to do ministry, we start to do all of these things, but it's like we leave God at, at home. We say, we can do these without God. Guys, we can't be so bold to think that, man, we can make disciples without the presence of Jesus in our lives. We can't be so bold to think that we can just be better parents by trying on our own. I can't be so bold to think I can be a pastor. I can be a boyfriend. I can be a son. I can be a friend to other people without the presence of God. Like, we need to be people that are desperate for his presence. That, Lord, if you're not going to go with me, don't send me there. 
Don't send me to my workplace. Don't send me to school. Don't send me wherever you're going. Don't send me if you're not going to go with me because, Lord, without you, I have nothing to bring to the table. I have nothing. Nothing at all. So I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but for me, I want to get to the end of my life. Or I don't want to get to the end of my life having been explained everything that happened in my own confidence. Like, I don't want to look back and say, this, that, and that happened because of my, my abilities and because I had these great ideas and because I had uh, the perfect education. I, like, I don't want to get to the end of my life, and I don't want it to just make sense. Like, I don't want it to make sense because everything that was in my understanding, like, it, it made sense. Are you following me? Like, I don't, want it, I don't want my life to be explainable by something I can manage but I want to get to the end of my life and I want to look back and say none of that would have been possible apart from the grace and apart from the presence of my Lord Jesus Christ. Like I want my life to be lived out by faith. I want to wake up saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but if you don't go with me, I know nothing's going to get done. Like I want to actively live by faith. So I, uh, I know you guys know I've been at Mepham and I, I went a few weeks ago to sit in on some of their leadership classes because, again, like, this is convicting me. I'm, I'm done just, you know, talking about it. Like, Lord, help me to meet lost people. So quite literally, emailed principals like, hey, I'm Jordan, don't really have a lot to offer, but I like teenagers and I really like leadership. Can I help in any way? So this principal in, at MEPM was like, we have a leadership program. You're more than welcome to come on and just check us out. So three weeks ago, I went to MEPM. And I sat in, and it all went well. And when I left, uh, I emailed the, prof- the teacher, and I was like, so uh, what's next? Like, could I come back? I don't know. And she was like, I have to talk to the principal and talk to the higher-ups because I'm a stranger, basically. Uh, but I had to get approved. It was out of my control. Um, and, and I followed up with her last week, and I emailed her again, like, did you ever talk? And she was like, yes, I did. And uh, Mr. Gomez said that you are more than welcome to come back every Friday to hang out with our teenagers and to serve them in any way possible. And I thank God for that. But even now, as I'm going to, to sit in on these leadership classes, I'm like, God, if you don't go before me, no one will ever come to faith. No one will ever come to know you. No one will ever come to grow in their relationship with you, Lord. If, if, it's, if I am all I have to bring to the table, Lord, don't send me there. But with the presence of God, man, he can do some pretty amazing things. Don't you agree? All right. So I want my life to be lived by faith. And man, I'd encourage and challenge you to, to take a realistic look at your life. I, I had to do it. So this isn't anything I haven't done. But just look at your life and ask yourself, is, is, am I doing anything in my life that's requiring me to step out and live by faith? Or is everything manageable and controllable and Does everything fit into my box? Or like, am I stepping out and saying, God, it's either you or nothing, right? And that's a hard place to get at, but it's such a good place to be at, right? So again, point one, we can do this to make disciples. We need to trust his authority. Number two, we trust his strategy. He's given us the game plan. And point three is that we need to be reliant on his presence. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you love us and that, man, you are so good to us that you didn't lead us 
and, and bring us to a point where we just have to figure out how to serve you and follow you on our own. God, and I thank you that although we are weak, you are so strong. And God, you took 12 ordinary guys and you used them to flip this world upside down. And Lord, I pray that the men and women that have gone before us, Lord, I pray that their efforts and their prayers wouldn't just stop with us. I pray, Jesus, that we wouldn't be so bold enough to say that it stops with me. But Lord, would you ignite a fire within us? Would you change our hearts, Lord? Would you help us to live on mission? Not because... Uh, uh, we should, Lord, but because we get to, that we get to participate in you redeeming, man, this broken world back to you, Jesus. We are so thankful that you use fickle people to be a part of your mission, Jesus. Lord, wake us up. Wake me up. Man, that time is short, God, and Long Island deserves to know who Jesus is. Long Island deserves the grace and the power and the presence of a good, good Father, Lord. Give us the boldness to, man, proclaim that name. We love you, Jesus, and we just pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
stand in our way. Nothing can keep us back, Father. Nothing can hold us back. You're fighting our battles, Lord, each and every day. May we trust in you, Father. May we just place our complete trust in you each day. And we thank you, Father, for all you are. It's your blessing on us the rest of this week, Lord God, as we leave this place, but continuing in you, continuing in you. We thank you, Lord. We exist in your name. Amen. Amen. This is how. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our 